From the Department of Surgery at the University of Wisconsin, welcome to The Surgery Set. I'm Jonathan Kohler, an assistant professor in pediatric surgery here in Madison, home of the Badgers. This is a podcast all about surgery and the individuals who are at the cutting edge of it, and we're glad you're here. Welcome to The Surgery Set. If you enjoy our program, please rate our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Podbean, Stitcher, or wherever you've downloaded this podcast. Do it right now. It really helps us grow the podcast. In this episode, I speak with Dr. B. Timothy Baxter. He's a professor of surgery at the University of Nebraska Medical Center, where he specializes in vascular surgery and plays a big role at Nebraska's Vascular Fellowship Program. Dr. Baxter and I spoke about the importance of a research fellowship during residency. It's more than just a way to prove your scientific bona fides. Those years are a time to think and plan a professional trajectory and an incredibly important opportunity for personal growth. The benefits go way beyond the lab. I spoke with Dr. Baxter after he gave a Grand Rounds talk here at UW that talked about the research years, but also delved into a very personal history of statistics. He told us the stories and the names behind many of our common statistical tests, which is the story of some extremely interesting people. We have a link to Dr. Baxter's talk on the Surgery Set webpage, surgery.wisc.edu slash podcast. I hope you enjoy our discussion. Dr. Baxter, thank you so much for, for making the trip to Madison to speak with us today. No, I'm excited to be here. This is a great environment. I have a lot of friends here, so very excited. And you're coming in from Omaha. I'm from Omaha. I work at the University of Nebraska Medical Center. Tell us a little bit about your journey to Omaha, which was not where you were expecting to end up. No, it's, it's really interesting, and I think a lot of people have careers like this. So I was uh, trained in Colorado and just because of circumstances there, I was forced to do a year of research, which I wasn't excited about. But it turned out that I actually really liked it, and I really thought, this is something I can do. And so I did, went on to a fellowship at Northwestern and, and had a good experience there. And then I was going to go back to Colorado, but there were some issues with the job. It wasn't quite right, and uh, I, there was a great job in Omaha, and Bing Rickers was there, and I... I looked at the job, and, and, and I told my wife, this is a pretty good job. And she said, no, I, we're not moving to Omaha. And I said, well, it'll only be a couple of years. And she said, okay. And that, that was 30 years ago now. So Wow. And in your time at Omaha, you've, you've taken what was an unexpected turn into the lab and turned it into a huge research effort of your own, and, and you're now mentoring scores of residents. Yeah. yeah. It, so that's been the funnest part is really – We've uh, we've taken on a project uh, working on aortic aneurysms, which is a clinical problem that we see, but doesn't have that doesn't have a medical therapy, and so we've been working for years on developing a medical therapy uh, that would keep aneurysms from growing, so people don't have to have an intervention. Um, but the most rewarding uh, and fun part of that has been mentoring residents, and they come in the lab and they spend two years, so it's really a fun time and an intense time where you're working with one person for two years, but uh, it's just been uh, something that's been incredibly rewarding to me. There are a couple things about that that I think are totally fascinating. One, and this is something we've, I think, not talked enough about in surgery, is we're one of these rare professions that actually works to sort of put ourselves out of business. Um, I'm particularly fascinated by surgeons who pursue medical therapies 
who, who try to, you're not trying to figure out a better way to operate, right? You're trying to figure out a way to, to not operate. Yes. Do you see a conflict there? I mean. Yeah. No, it's, a, it's an interesting question. And sometimes people will ask me, how close are you? You know, I got to get my kids through college. <laughs> uh, but It's I, like but, if we cured pe- appendicitis in pediatric yeah. surgery, we'd all be out of jobs. Yeah. yeah. And, I, and I think uh, one of the things about what we do is that we're really in a position uh, to understand the disease and to also to obtain samples for studies, so blood work and sometimes operating and getting aneurysm tissue. And so we're really in a position that nobody else is in to to understand the disease better. I think one that's the key is first understanding it and then trying to see if you can somehow change the course of the disease. I think that's so important because surgery, so often I think people think of as a technical specialty. I mean, my own research in the lab, I studied two things. I got a master's degree in health communication on nights and weekends, and then I studied zinc pathophysiology and the way that zinc was regulated across cell membranes, which people would say, well, what does that have to do with surgery? And I would say, well, it's everything. It's wound healing. It's, you know, acidification of the stomach. It's all these things that are vitally important, but it's not how to, you know, better dissect in a new plane. It's, it's the underpinning of, of surgery is not technical. It's, it's knowledge-based. It's knowledge-based. And I think that's the thing that we um, try to do with the residents who spend time in the lab is uh, because what you're talking about is, is a different way of thinking about the problem and a, and a bigger way of thinking about the problem and, and uh, not just thinking about how you fix it every day, but how you can impact it in the long run. So I think it's, I, I think that really adds a lot to somebody's career. If you can feel like you're, you're, uh, uh, helping the patients you see every day, but potentially, if you figure this, some of these important things out, you can help many, many more people in the future by some of the, some of these discoveries. One of the things you talk about in your talk, and um, a lot of what you talked about, you know, is probably best viewed online because you do a, a beautiful recap of some of the sort of core statistical techniques that residents need to know uh, in the lab. But one of the things that you talked about that I've not heard much about from PIs is is the non-scientific value of spending time in the lab as a resident. Right. So so we, uh, I've had residents and our residents come to the lab because they want to. They don't, they're not required to. And most of them spend two years in the lab. And when I talked to them uh, and surveyed them uh, after they've done their time in the lab, I think the, the thing that comes through loud and clear is that they really valued the time that they spend in the lab and the personal growth that occurred. And so that oftentimes is is things like somebody getting married or having children or uh, uh, getting engaged or maybe taking on some new hobby or sport that they become uh, really enthralled with. And so I think it's that opportunity to kind of step back because they haven't had that really. They go through medical school, they start residency, and there's really not a time for them to do that. And I think that that is really, really valuable to these to the uh, people who have worked in the lab. And that's what they say that was the most important thing to them. Yeah, we talked recently with Seymour Schwartz, um, who's 91 and going strong about the value of the humanities in medicine. And he said he'd not read a novel until he was out of medical school, out of residency, and in stationed in the Korean War. And that, that he saw that as a huge absence in his life, is, is that early exposure to the other things. And, and I remember that in my own residency t- too, like the, the, the time to breathe and think and just not have the sort of uh, 
mill wheel of, of clinical work around your neck as you were trying to understand the, the thought process of surgery and, and, and try to understand who you are as a person and what your profession should look like. Yeah, I think, Jonathan, that's really one of the most interesting things is when the residents first come into the laboratory because they're geared up and everything's been go, go, go. And so, it, you, you know, I have to talk to them and say, it's okay. Just, you know, if you don't get a lot done today, but you read, that's okay. You know, and they feel like, oh, I'm, I'm really not getting anything done. And I say, no, no, you are. You just, it's a different, it's just a different thing. And so learning to just slow down and think and read and then plan, you know, those kind of things are just so valuable, I think. And that's really the thing that they look back on and say, that's, that's what I got out of it. You know, I got the, I had time to think and plan and, and I had time for some personal growth. Yeah. The other thing I, I wanted to highlight from from what I heard you talk about is some of this stuff around the value and importance of a thoughtful analysis of our data. There are a few things that I thought were really important there that I have been on, on my mind a lot as I talk to residents and mentor residents myself, which is I think probably number one is sort of the, the slavish cult that we have around the p-value. And you know this statistical number that we say P is less than 0.05 or greater than 0.05, and the, and the value that we ascribe to that, which is not necessarily the value that it actually provides us. Yes. You know, we I think in medicine don't appreciate the importance of statistics or or the way to both interpret them ourselves and then to relate those numbers to our patients in a way that's meaningful to them. Yeah. No, I think that's true, and I think you know when we talk about the P value and we say you know is is 0.49, you know, or versus 0. 0. 0.06 versus 0.049. And, you know, there's so, that's such a small difference. And we're saying, well, the difference is only a, a 4% chance in one case or a 4.5% chance in one case that this happened by chance. In the other case, we're saying, uh, you know, maybe it's a, it's a 5 or 6% chance. So so really what the data are, are, are you know, we're working around that number and and uh, edit, uh, the journals all work around that number, and so it's an, an important number. But I think it's important for our patients to tr- that we we try to be a little more thoughtful about that. And you know, I presented some data today that showed, for example, that if you have colon cancer and you take aspirin, uh, the study showed that uh, the difference wasn't significant, but the p-value was 0.07. Well, that's a pretty inexpensive therapy, and if there's a you know, only a 7% chance that that difference occurred by chance is probably a real thing. And why not take the aspirin at 7%? So I just think we have to think about those things uh, and interpret those uh, things in a way that's helpful to our patients. Yeah, I do wonder like how many incredibly important medical discoveries were lost to science because they were slightly underpowered and the p-value was 0.051 and it didn't didn't get published. Didn't get published, yeah, yeah. Or got relegated to a really obscure journal where people just didn't see it, and and I think those things are. There's no doubt that there's there. It's important to to look around and read the data. One thing that's nice nowadays is just easier to find things, you know, yeah. compared to having to go to the library and look through Index Medicus or something. So uh, it really is, and and easier to find things and put them together. And so I think that's one thing that. huge advantage that residents have now and we have as physicians is just our ability to to find information quickly and then you have to know how to interpret that and then you need to know how to talk about it and i the the data from that you talked about that i thought was most compelling to me from a, a health communication standpoint is how do you talk about relative risks 
um, and numbers needed to treat in a way that is not misleading to patients or a way that gives them like the right frame of mind to think about these different values. Yeah, that's re I think it's really important. And, and I think that uh, we need patients' input. And I think uh, what we need to get a sense from patients about what they think about the surgery or not having the surgery. And people are often have an opinion about that. And some people don't want surgery. And other people are like, yeah, I, I want to get this taken care of. I want to be aggressive. I don't want to have to worry about it. And so I think getting their, their feeling from them and their input and then using that uh, along with the information. Sometimes you, a patient may be all for surgery because they think it's going to be helpful. And you explain to them that that's, it's not the best thing for them. And so we, we want to give them our advice, but we also want to get their input. And I agree with you that that the way you present the data can make a huge difference. And I think that hopefully we don't have a bias ourselves that because we want to be busy and we, you know, we're surgeons and so surgeons should do surgery, hopefully that bias doesn't come into play in terms of our decisions. Right. I mean, you can imagine, you know, and you sort of illustrate some of these things, you know, where there, there are small differences between treatments, but you can say, well, you're twice as likely to have a stroke if you don't have surgery, right? Yes. But, but you could also phrase that, well, you have a 90% chance of not having a stroke if you don't have surgery and a 95% chance of not having a stroke if you do, and, you know, a 2% chance of stroke with surgery. So it becomes more complicated. It's totally just how you phrase it. Like, what's the denominator that you're, you're dealing with? Yeah, and, and I think it's, you know, people come in, they have, a, they have a study, and somebody tells them your artery's narrow, and maybe their primary care doctor says, oh, you need to go get this taken care of. And and then when you sit there and, you know, maybe it's somebody who's not a great candidate for surgery and you tell them, you know, your risk of having a stroke in the next two years uh, is 4%. So it's 2% per year. And next five years, 2% per year. So so the risk on a daily basis is pretty low. You know, a lot of people are, you know, once they get that information, they're like, okay, that, I can go with that. I can live with that. It's acceptable to me. and uh, And they can understand that. And I think it is say it's important to present it in a, it, the way that you think the, the patient will, uh, will best understand it. Yeah. That's the true value maybe of, of those research years as I think about my own, right? I, I didn't go into basic science in the end um, with my lab work, um, but the years that I spent, I spent, you know, four years doing basic science between medical school and residency. And, and the ability to sort of analyze data, be critical, and sort of assess like, you know, how do you make a hypothesis? How do you test a hypothesis? And how do you read about how other people tested their hypotheses and translate that into your clinical practice? You couldn't do that if you hadn't had the time to think about it. No, I, I completely agree. And when you read the literature, if you've, if you've designed a, an experiment and done the work and written the paper, you just have such a different understanding of what's in that paper. Uh, you know, any paper that you read, you just have so much more insight to it. And so I think it's really valuable to to have gone through that, and I hope you're right. I, and I think you're right that that the people who do spend that extra time uh, w will be have a little bit more ability to be thoughtful in terms of how they think about these diseases and their patients, and and deciding the best thing for patients. The question now is how do we how do we make that time worthwhile for residents, right, who have the choice, yes, and who you know are giving up two years of attending salary with all that accounts for, you know, paying off the ability to pay off loans and the ability to retire, like they're, they're giving up a lot of time up front to, to potentially have, you know, a reduced payoff later 
in terms of dollar amounts, even if it makes them a much better doctor. Yeah, and, and I, think, I think it shows the responsibility that we have uh, as mentors to really think broadly about this person uh, who's going to spend that time and to make sure that we help them to consider all the options and uh, to decide if maybe working, doing, working in a wet lab is the best thing for them or maybe doing that and some other thing. Uh, but just to make sure that that when they're done, they are prepared for what they want to do. And a lot of times the residents have some sense that they might want to be an administrator, they might want to be an educator, uh, they have an idea of what their future role might be. And I think if we can work with them to try to figure out how to get them into the best place in terms of using that time to good use and, and value, I think that's just really really important to do that because it's it's such a privilege to have somebody say I'm going to come and work in your lab for two years I mean they're putting two years of their life in your hands and you really want to make sure that you know you're not just uh, saying okay here here you're going to be here helping me do these experiments but what you're really saying is let's figure out let's make a plan for you that's going to give you the best bang for your time that you spend in the lab and for the future. That's what happened to me, and it made my career, you know, to have mentors who believed that my somewhat esoteric interests could be blended together into a surgical career, and that I didn't need to spend every moment at the bench to be maximally productive in the lab. Yes. Yeah, Yeah, no, I think that's true, and I think there's still a lot of downtime when you're doing bench research, and I think there's just tons of opportunities there to be doing other things. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, thank you again so much for, for coming out to visit us in Madison and, and for joining us on the podcast. Oh, it's been a great pleasure. And it just, like I say, just a great trip. And this is, you know, Bill Turnipseed has been really a mentor and a good friend for years. And so to be able to come here and give a lecture, uh, the Bill Turnipseed lecture uh, is just a great honor for me. Thank you. Join us next time on The Surgery Set when I speak with Dr. Josh Hermson. He's one of our pediatric cardiac surgeons here at the University of Wisconsin, and we discuss innovations in cardiac surgery. Will 3D printers play a role? Tune in to find out. The Surgery Set is a production of the Department of Surgery at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. This episode was produced by Chelsea Johnson and me, Jonathan Kohler. It was recorded by Chris Hansen and edited by Elizabeth DiNovella. Our theme song is On Wisconsin, arranged and produced by Jamie Schmidt. I encourage you to visit us at surgery.wisc.edu, where you can find links to Grand Rounds, free CME credits, and more. You can also check out the UW School of Medicine and Public Health video library for a wide range of medical education resources at videos.med.wisc.edu. In addition, you can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Podbean, and Stitcher. And of course, you can follow us on social media. You can like our Facebook page and also find us on Twitter at Whisk Surgery. And I'm at J.E. Kohler, K-O-H-L-E-R. Please feel free to let us know how we're doing, rate and review us on your podcast app, and don't hesitate to let us know of any topics you'd like us to cover. Thanks, and we hope you check back soon. On Wisconsin